Welcome to What the If. I'm Philip Shane, a documentary filmmaker and space buff, among other things. I'm here with uh, my colleague Matt Stanley, professor. And space denizen. A denizen, a denizen of space, mm-hmm. which means you, you live in space. I live wow. in space, as we all do, right? That's very hard to avoid. <laughs> you know, that's, that's interesting. And uh, I'm going to jump right in. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a very, uh, we have a super cool guest on today. Uh, Blake Lewin. Um, am I pronouncing your last name right? You did it perfectly. There, You're just Blake a, to me. That's yes. right. No, there's a family, there's a family rift over whether it's Lewin or Lewin. So if oh, you're West Coast, oh, it's Lewin, okay. and East Coast, it's Lewin. So East Coast. <laughs> so I take it either way. That's funny. Although Lewin is, I could see that's very West Coast because like they want to be, you know, yo, it's got a showman, showmanship <laughs> thing. Lewin. Blake is also a denizen of space, but but unlike the rest of us, Blake is actually published. Now Matt is published. Many yeah, times but over. in a, a different sort of way. In a different audience, uh, B- Blake is a published has published works in space, mm-hmm. and even uh, both in interstellar space and on planetary bodies. Uh, and we're gonna I'm gonna get we're gonna back our way into the story a little bit. But our what the if this week, based on Blake's unbelievable ex- life experiences to space and back. Uh, what the if? We wanted to send a record of ourselves, a time capsule, if you will, into space. What would we do? A, a, a time capsule of our current day. And the reason I ask that is because, uh, Blake, tell us about... Um, What was your introduction to being published in space? So being published in space. So I, the first one, I wish I actually was published in space. This one, I, I was, to, to your point, I, I, uh, I produced the first terrestrial version of this record. So I was uh, at Warner New Media, and it was the heady days of CD-ROM, and all sorts of things were happening, and we were talking about interactive and... and uh, one I forget a guy named Dan Brown. He was another producer there, and he said, "You know, um, we really should do the the Voyager Interstellar record." And I was like, "That's a great idea." And and for those who don't remember, the Voyager Interstellar record was literally a record. It was um, pressed. There was no DVDs. There were no CDs at the time. This was I think seventy six, seventy seven, and uh, it contained one hundred and fifty fifteen pictures. 27, 28 pieces of music. Greetings. And just, and then and, take one step back. So the Voyager was, uh, uh, for those who really don't remember, a satellite that exp- we sent and explored the outer planets, and it went on something called the Grand Tour. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and Matt, uh, is, the, is the record on both yes. Voyager 1 yes, and 2? there's two okay. copies, yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's two copies, and this was, it's really, it was Carl Sagan, um, fostered the idea. It was this idea that you know we should these things are going out into space. They'll live way longer than than we will, and maybe even well past our solar system. Yeah. And so he wanted to leave this this message in a bottle um, for future generations of space travelers from Earth, or you know who knows alien alien races that are out there exploring. But it, it's a huge needle in a haystack that. To, to, to mix my metaphors there, but um, <laughs> and needle, the ne- there really is a needle. Yeah, there really is a needle, part, right? right. Yeah. So, so the idea was they they produced this, they got the rights for all these materials to put into space, but they never got the rights to release it. So the Earth uh, was was not getting to see the pictures that were sent to represent us or the music. So in in 1992, I started the project and uh, we created a CD-ROM so the music was on the the CD portion of a CD-ROM and then the pictures were stored on the uh the ROM portion right and your experience you you were a 
uh, record producer? How so I was find- an interactive CD-ROM producer, and uh, my actual title was director of licensing. So my my core ability was to get in there and and license little bits of content that we were putting on CD-ROMs. Director of Interstellar Licensing. That's right. <laughs> so, man, I miss so, the days of interactive CD-ROMs. Those were so exciting. <laughs> you remember how? Yeah, how epic they were. Yeah, yeah, they were. Yes. They absolutely were. And and uh, you know, Philip, this is where we we cross over because it was during that time that I played Mist, and that's a whole nother story. But it was it was I was at Warner New Media at the time, and I was producing the uh, Voyager Interstellar Records. So that's right. Yeah, and I know I know Blake from. Uh, I'm also making a documentary about the classic video game Mist, which came out on CD-ROMs and uh, a whole nother amazing story. Wait for the movie. Yes, but, right. uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that was the cutting edge thing at the moment. So, so and, Blake, and we'll speaking, come back. Yeah, just speaking of documentaries, there's, there's a great documentary called The Farthest um, that does the whole story of the Voyage Interstellar record. So if, if your listeners are interested, I would highly recommend it's, it's really a good, um, documentary and they cover a lot about the, the the record itself that was attached so that was my introduction to uh, carl sagan and uh, who and a guy who became a really good friend john lomberg who was also on the team and he helped me with the licensing and during that time after we released it and uh i, I guess I, i'll share my record release party so we uh when we we created this first terrestrial release of the uh the Voyager Interstellar record. You know, one of the the funny things on it was one of the pieces of music was Chuck Berry, Johnny Good, and uh, I think there's a, a skit on Saturday Night Live. Um, I think it was Chevy Chase that did it, and that, that our first response back from Aliens was send more Chuck Berry. Um, so that <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so it, it, great, it became actually. quite a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, so um, if we were going to make something today, there it's interesting. I, I won't. Not, I should ask. You know, we we have had a guest on a number of times who worked on the New Horizons mission that went to uh, Pluto and beyond. I'm not sure if there was something on there. I, I feel actually like each no, time, no. Okay, you know? so now you're yeah. bringing up a really interesting point. So my buddy John Lomberg has actually recently been. Um, talking to nasa to try and get them there's an onboard computer um on the new horizons right Um, there was nothing sent out um on the new horizons um but john had this idea that what if we could upload names and information into these the uh, amazing the long-term memory of the spaceship so that would so you're you're bringing up a very Amazing. relevant point that um <laughs> it, and it's still being discussed right now do do they want to upload this stuff and uh he's got a whole project going on which is a, another conversation but uh oh, that's fantastic well all right so that would be so if we wanted to send yeah. something out today now one of the first things we'd want to think about would be format right we've got a lot of different media formats mm-hmm. out there now one of the reasons that the voyager record is a record um, is because it would be easy to reverse engineer. That is, if you're an alien, you can look at the simple instructions they've got on there and you can try to figure it out. I I feel like that would not be the case for an MP3, right? That would be, that would be much harder to give the instructions for that, right? Not only that, if they did do it, they'd they'd be like, boy, the audio quality, (laughs) these humans must have terrible hearing orifices because the audio well, quality is and, and we're assuming that the aliens here in our very narrow range of hearing right, right? Yep. so i mean there's oh, all wow. sorts of things that go into when you you start to consider wow. um what you send all right so there's the content of what 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 represents our planet in a in an authentic uh but positive light right yep. um you don't want to overstate uh, our, our situation, but you don't want to make people afraid to come here. So there's oh, well, that. Maybe you and, do. Maybe you yeah. do. I mean, Stephen Hawking <laughs> said, scare them off. Stephen Hawking <laughs> right. said we shouldn't have. He was serious. I think he he said we shouldn't have sent that out there because it was a bad idea. It just yeah. like a calling card. It's uh, yep. buffet yep. here. Buffet. <laughs> <laughs> the best meat. Don't, don't put don't put any pictures that look delicious on there. Right. The best meat in the western arm of the Milky Way. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh god. So so there's the content, and then there's you know the, there's the technology, Matt, like you were talking about. Is it's what um, how do you convey it? You know, a lot of the uh, of our great science fiction, you know, when you see the alien stuff, is stuff doesn't work because we don't we can't understand the inner workings of of stuff. Right. right. So it's mm-hmm. hidden. The technology and, and digital technology is a great example of that. It's 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 hidden unless you really know what you're looking for. And uh, and then the third part is the aliens themselves. It's do they view at, at the, the light spectrum that we do or the audio? Do they hear audio? Do you know? Mm-hmm. Would, would an alien yeah. race even be able to right. comprehend what mm-hmm. it is that we've sent because their their senses are different? Sure, we send a CD-ROM that's uh, uh, that's designed for use with an infrared laser, um, but the particular civilization that picks it up never figured out that there was an infrared part of the spectrum, so they don't have any receptors. Um, right. So as far as yeah. they can tell, it's just this blob of plastic. Right, they wouldn't uh, even bo- right. might not even bother looking for anything. Yeah, it's right. a frisbee. That's it. That's so nice of the humans to send us a frisbee. <laughs> yeah. And not not only that, they don't have wind. They would have to install Windows and talk which about is it. which is essentially <laughs> impossible. Right. Talk about a licensing nightmare. That would be. Well, then they need service back, and they got to wait twenty light years to get the service back. So, um, uh, well, and I should now, say with the with yeah. the way we do uh, media these days. Um, I suspect we would have an ad before the video. <laughs> yeah. A right? pre-roll before every single before every cue. single clip, right? Before <laughs> the be sound of, of the waterfall and before the sound of the wind blowing through the trees, they have to watch a Geico ad. <laughs> you know, this is worth you just you just like I need yet another editing project on my plate, but this, is, this has to be done. This has to be done. A new version of the Voyager thing on YouTube with pre-roll before ever. And it's the same ad, right? It's like the most annoying 30-second ad. And it's I know, the same digital, one every time. You would think they know this, right? I mean, it's not that expensive to make a couple different versions of the ad, but it's the same one right. over and over same again. Over yeah. and over. Yep. Madness. Stupid That's humans. Yeah. So, so to continue that, the story. That might cause them to invade us, by the way. That's they right. Just, be so just to destroy us, and uh, yeah, yeah we've all felt the song. urge to to go destroy the YouTube servers, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, and it'll probably be one of those ads that was made now during this very special time, where everything right. is important, everything and is we're whispered. all heroes, and it has this horrible, sad music behind it that is the same song every single time it plays, and the aliens will will go mad. We'll just put these people out. <laughs> we destroyed. Right, virgin so, civilization. Blake, you, you mentioned like that, as far as the Voyager record, that they included the instructions and even some of the material needed to build a record player. Right. So, so this, okay. So, this is a fun little factoid here. So, the pictures had to be encoded in a way that would work on a record. Right. So, what they did is they broke the signal down a video signal down and if if everybody remembers had again this is cathode ray technology we're talking about here mm-hmm. where you've got you know the left right up down in the scan lines right so huh. so they had to break the picture down into basically the the the, the, the x and the y um information of how that picture gets recreated from an analog audio signal um so i think left was x and right was y or something like that and it came with a little stylus so at least you got the needle for it but then you had to (laughs) not only rebuild a record player but then you also had to figure out that this other stuff uh the pictures were different than the audio and then the first picture they gave you was just a circle and a line circle, and and that was then to um, make sure you had calibrated your your decoding of the audio. Yeah, so you knew you had your X Y right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but so, anyhow, so, so first of all, a, a needle, a needle. Um, boy, if well, people, all the cool kids have uh, uh, record players now. Again, right, right, because their things are coming out on LP. But I remember a time. I remember a time. 
where you would go out and you would buy needles. And, and if you were an audiophile, as I aspired to be, um, I remember a store that was, I think it was literally called Just Needles. And it was all, <laughs> but there were, they were all, they were really, you know, there were all these different kinds. And the needle is the thing that, so I'm I'm curious to find out what kind you don't have to know. Oh this, yeah, but. no, I don't. That's a really yeah. good question. Yeah, um, I, I assume it was the highest fidelity. I am sure. Yeah, I, I have a vague memory of them um, having to to wrangle with uh, manufacturers to to find a needle that could could do what they needed it to do. Oh, plus um, it probably had to survive space. Survive space. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did it come up. with? Did the record come with what my favorite tool for listening to records was? The little velvet brush that <laughs> brushes the dust, takes the dust. Nah, I don't think you know, so. Static free. I, I, yeah. I think, you know, it was a. But anyhow, to, 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 fit, to continue the thought, so, so, the, so the terrestrial version uh, we released through Warner Me New Media. And actually, there was a Kickstarter a year or two ago where they've actually redone the vinyl. And um, so the Voyager Interstellar record exists now as, as vinyl, and it, it's great. Um, but that was just a couple of years ago. And oh, so uh, when you what you worked on, they it, it wasn't vinyl. No, so the release. what we produced was a CD-ROM replica of the Voyager Interstellar record. Because they so, just didn't think no, like at that time, nobody wanted records. Probably. Well, not only did they not want records, but there's no way you could see the pictures. So the CD-ROM was tech that they would have used, and. That's what led to the Mars Project, right? So, so Lou Friedman and uh, John Lom Lou Friedman was the uh, director of the Planetary Society, and John Lomberg came to me at Warner New Media and said, "Hey, this was great, uh, the terrestrial version, but we want to do something new and fresh, put it on Mars, and then have have Warner release it, and then all the royalties for the Mars disc." would go to the Planetary Society to help fund their different things. So it was kind of a fundraising thing for the Planetary Society and also a neat uh, tribute to Carl Sagan uh, for mm -hmm. his work on the Voyager Interstellar record. So uh, the disc itself, uh, this was more of a library of stuff. So again, thinking about what's the use case. So the use case is we're going to send this aboard, aboard a probe that's going to land on Mars. It's going to sit there for 100 years or so. Uh, and then hopefully our guys will get there. Somebody from Earth will get there, and we're going to leave them a little library of stuff of how we thought about Mars in both our science fiction and our art. Um, just as kind of a whimsical library of of our our past thoughts about Mars, um, thinking about Martians of the future. Precisely. Now that depends if there were aliens that did live on Mars and found right. it. Would they know it was whimsical? Or antagonistic. Or would they think it's pictures of us? Wait a second, these humans, they have these tripods that have heat rays that <laughs> march yeah. around. And we had some fun clips. We had uh, a Daffy Duck and uh, oh, that Mars oh. character, uh, Marvin the Martian, and yep. uh, just, yep. just some fun yeah. stuff. Some great sci-fi. Um, and the neat thing about this, and this was one thing I thought was cool about the Mars Project, was this idea... That science fiction, that, that, that science fiction writers and artists and scientists have this dance, right? And and oh, you can think yeah. back. I mean, I'm sure it goes further back than than Jules Verne, but he's the one I always I think of. Is like, you know, he he took the the nascent science of the day, right, and turned it into these amazing stories about what we could do with that science. And then young kids read that and was like, I want to build a submarine or I want to go to the moon. And, and that inspired them. And then the, the science advances. And then the next generation of science fiction writers see the science coming out and they go, oh, my gosh, what if we could do this? And, then, and it's this, this ongoing dance between the, uh, the generations of, of writers and scientists. And it's a, it's a beautiful thought. And, and, and so the, the idea of this Mars disk, Visions of Mars is what we called it. Uh, was to capture some of those um, thoughts of how we viewed Mars over time in our art and our literature. Wow, that's beautiful! It's yeah. actually our show itself is a dance. We you know one thing I like: it's a dance. It's, yeah, it's a beautiful way to describe it between sci using science fiction to learn science. So, Matt, what were you going to say? Well, I say I, I don't know how it feels. So let's say uh, I open up my mailbox one day, and in it is a CD-ROM full of images and videos of 
uh, imaginings people have had about me. <laughs> and Isn't that I don't, what Facebook is? That's sort of I don't Facebook know is, who but... <laughs> sent it. <laughs> I don't know why they sent it. Right. Um, wow. And and it's and actually it's images of me over like fifty or a hundred years too, right? So they're really different impressions. Um, I don't know how I would feel about that. But they well, could you, be, they, mo- most likely they'd be so different that you wouldn't even recognize it. That's probably right. Actually, I wouldn't even realize it was supposed to be me, right? Although um, you would see your planet. Actually, mm-hmm. no, you would. You would, would, would well, it. it would be my apartment, right? So it would be yeah. all the stuff would take place in my apartment, um, and then there would be, you know, the the vision of me with the version of me with heat rays and the version of me with Daffy Duck. And, um, right. Yeah, well, and then there's we also had the audio portion. We had the radio uh, broadcast uh, Orson Welles' War of the World. Oh, oh wow! So there's an antagonistic piece of media to be receiving. Of, uh, so it's interesting. He, uh, um, uh, in the Mar- in the Martian, um, why am I drawing a blank on the famous author's name? Bribery uh, or no, uh, the uh, the movie? What well, the movie and the book, The Martian, the more recent one, super famous writer. It'll come to me. Um, but, uh, Mark Watney, the main character, um, right. Mm -hmm. Who, who lands on Mars and he's, he's, he's abandoned on Mars. He's marooned. Marooned. Yes. Marooned. Was not marooned. So this was, this is on the Phoenix lander, which I believe is on the North polar region. Actually, you know better than I, I actually don't know where. I think maybe that's why Watney couldn't get to, um, he was marooned on a more equatorial well, that could be. zone. Oh, okay. And so, but had he been able to find it, th- maybe this would be for the sequel um, or the Spaceballs satire <laughs> version of the Martian. <laughs> yeah. You would find this thing and, and have great entertainment. I mean, you that's would, right. Wow. This is amazing. Look at all this great science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it's really great. And the Martian would be on there. There uh, you go. In the future version. The next, that's right. On the next one. On the next one. Yeah, actually, yeah. along those lines, alternative strategy, send yeah. uh, a library with all sorts of information about how to build a space colony for someone who is Whoa. stranded there. There you go. Right. It's, it's like a help disk. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the ultimate help disk um, <laughs> is, uh, yeah, this is how you get oxygen out of the, the Martian soil, and this is how you build construction materials, and uh, all the way up to building your own rocket to come home for the future well, of Mark you, Watney's. Yeah. You talk about the dance between science fiction and science. That would be amazing that an actual, so somebody does end up crashing on Mars, and they happen to find this thing, and they discover the movie The Martian, or the book, or both, because mm-hmm. why not? Right. Yeah. The, you know, they get both, and they can correlate. and. Um, they learn how to, you know, what to do. Oh, I should uh, use the nuclear, the nuclear, um, whatever the little engine he's got, a little power <laughs> plant, and uh, I should lay out rocks so that maybe the Earth satellites can see me, and um, that would be science fiction. Yeah, coming back into mm-hmm. yeah, see that seems and, eminently doable into science. So Andy Weir is the uh, Andy author. Weir. That's there right. you go. Andy Weir, amazing. So, um, but now more seriously. What uh, what would we have our? This may be more of a Matt question. What have our thoughts about how to present ourselves changed? Certainly, our world has changed. I won't say it's for mm-hmm. the better or worse. That wasn't. It was the late sixties, early seventies, particularly yeah. a troubled time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, have we changed in the way we would present ourselves? Or it's different people too. Didn't Carl Carl Sagan yeah. had a particular, you know, a little bit of utopian mindset? That's right. Yeah, I mean, Sagan and his friends were a bunch of hippies, right? So yeah. they wanted to send a message of peace, love, and understanding, um, yeah. and they grappled with a lot of the questions that we've actually hit here too. Things like, do we present um, only the good things about Earth? Or do we present the good and the bad together? Mm-hmm. Um, because this is, you know, we don't get a second chance at our first introduction. Um, that's what first I, impressions mean a lot. That's yeah, why. that's right. And I think actually, weirdly, well, one of the 
I, I think the the big difference is these days is now we've had a couple of decades of practice with social media at presenting ourselves um, in images and in a small number of images and text. Um, now, in one sense, that means we're really good at it. Uh, but on the other hand, it means that um, we're really good at misrepresenting ourselves too. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a sense in which we would spend a lot of time doing the equivalent, whatever the planetary equivalent of taking the perfect selfie is, right? You yeah. take the picture, that's right. nah, not quite right. Take the picture, nah, that's not right. quite right. right. Um, but we would just be doing that times 8 billion. Well, what's interesting is that people have, it seems in general, we're saying is people tend to want to present the positive aspect mm -hmm. of them. Also, I think it's that when they're, if they're dealing with something negative, it's not a time they want to take pictures anyway or write yeah. about it, although some people do. Um, but uh, uh, we humans seem to, in general, naturally do what Carl Sagan did as well, which is want yeah. to yeah. present the better side. However, sorry, but let's change that. A uh, couple of things have changed. One, the minority you know, we, this, the crowdsourcing nature of yeah. um, the, the accessibility of. So when Carl Sagan mm -hmm. made that, that was really a time. What year was that, actually? Are we talking so it was the, the disc was launched, what, in 77? Yeah, yeah, I think that's so. Right. I guess 76 was when they were putting this together. I mean, they didn't have a whole lot of time to put this together. I mean, this was done. I mean, in some ridiculous, whether it was a month or six weeks. Yeah, or, I mean, it, was, it, was, it was like weeks. That's right. And the, wow. the story, I should say the stories. Um, uh, of them trying to track that. Like, for instance, one of the things they wanted to do was get people of all these different languages, like all the languages right. of Earth, everybody saying yeah. hello. Um, so they thought, well, let's just, you know, go to the United Nations and get everybody, all the diplomats to say hello. But yeah. it turns out you can't just go to the United Nations and talk to people. Um, everyone has to make a decision and there has to be an event. <laughs> and it turned out to be this incredibly difficult thing. So they just kind just of wandered. They just wandered around New York talking to people trying to get random so they would just go into a bodega and say you know whatever language the owner there spoke they would get a, a hello from them um or things like trying to get you know uh, music in hindi uh turns out to be really difficult thing to do in the age before the internet um ah. so the stories of them going around new york city trying to to, to conjure up particular songs and particular languages yeah. um, are really amazing and it was a small team of people. It was um, it was Carl. Yeah. It was Annie. It was John Frank Drake, uh, John Lomberg, Frank Drake, um, uh, uh, Tim Ferriss, and Tim uh, and Carl's yeah. ex wife uh, Linda Salzman. Mm -hmm. So it was those, and that was that was it. So they did feel. I, I remember in talking with John and a little bit with Carl, but 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 mostly with John, the uh, kind of them kind of going through this process of gosh what it, what a big weight to have on their shoulders to pick what represents earth and that they're trying to you know weed out their tastes and preferences and uh clearly chuck berry won out um somehow right. and, and the bach and brandenburg but then not make it too western focused so there's aborigine music and 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 japanese and just trying to really cover the globe as a representation and uh you know a funny story is of how things changed so there was also a picture of a naked man and woman kind of an adam and eve the woman was pregnant and um to represent you know here we are just right. no facade right. just here's us you know and and, and, th and that's something anyone could see like anyone if you go that that was that's a picture that we you don't need to decode right that was a picture it printed on the Right. Well, that was on the uh, the pi uh, was it Pioneer was there was a plaque oh, okay. that had that. So they put oh, a pic they wanted to put a picture in the Voyager, but that got nixed because NASA just thought it was a little too racy for for Earth uh. to have gone out. So it's it's just interesting, <laughs> even even in these decision makings, just the 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 mores of the time or or, uh, or the political fears or or concerns or whatever. Um, even then, influence what what happens. I mean, so. there, there, there's a whole thing just to go down that road. That like, even it's it's a documentary. It's like it's basically like a National Geographic yes. kind of thing we're sending out. Yep. But that couldn't get past the that was too racy. Yeah, that was, was really way too racy. Yeah. But yeah. these days, you know, I don't know. Maybe we're sexting the aliens, right? <laughs> well, okay. So here's what it comes down to. I think that the entire internet. Here's what we really would want to do is. 
and I people have talked about this. I think um, you'd basically want to send the entire. You may not want to, but but certainly if you were non-judgmental, you would say, you know what, the whole let's just send the whole internet because like everything's there. I mean, all the stuff that they had to do, it's incredible. Like you were mentioning, had to go walk in the street to get these different languages. Just send the whole internet. It was that there was a communication. From, a <laughs> from an alien <laughs> that, was, that was beaker expressing his displeasure with that uh with that particular idea and i should say he has some experience with the internet so it's not uh he he, know, he knows what is meowing about here's the scary thing how does the internet really represent us right this is why i don't want ai learning from the internet because we like you know like irobot right it's going to discover something about the human race that we're not really seeing clearly for ourselves and it might lead to our you know the robots and the ai destroying us completely or enslaving us to protect us from ourselves the aliens might have seen the the sort of as you called it matt the sort of a little bit more hippie uh utopian vision of of earth and said well these people are a bunch of suckers I mean, they're not. They're, there's just going to be no problem. They don't even have guns. We've got a couple planets out in the uh, in the outback yeah. out here that we've got for sale for them. Right, or they might see it like like uh, Gauguin. Is it Gauguin saw Tahiti or something? Yes. It's like, right. wow, this looks like a this is paradise. Mm-hmm. So they're going to come they're... here expecting paradise, and boy, are they going to be mad then? <laughs> you know, um, when they're not even allowed to land because they. they they have they have to be tested, but there's for Corona yeah, and there's no right. tests. It's, it's terrible. No, it's like those great marketing images you have of your hotel, and then when you show up at the hotel, yeah. you're like, yeah. "What? What? How is this? Wait a minute. This is how is this what I got?" So all the more reason to send the whole internet because then they could they could basically see reviews of Earth, you know, and they aren't all going to say mostly harmless, as right. it says in the Hitchhiker's Guide. Then you know, then then you've got the whole problem of. Um, of recreating the internet and how much storage space is that and how are you going to get that out into space? Yeah, that's a lot of bandwidth. Yeah. yeah. So you've got to distill it. You still have to distill it, right? Because nobody's... Well, Google, you know, Google Google essentially does collect the entire internet in some form. So in fact, one Google, if you put an antenna on top of one of Google's uh, ser- server farms or something, um, and you just send that out. Uh, so here, here's the thing. Now, one thing Carl Sagan pointed out, and especially uh, beautifully so in his novel uh, Contact, which was mm-hmm. later made into a movie as well, with um, Jodie Foster, uh, which involves Frank Drake, in a way, Frank Drake from SETI, and Contact, mm-hmm. all about that. That's right. And um, he shows that it doesn't matter what you want to send. Actually, this was quite a beautiful comment in a way on himself, maybe that uh, it, when he went to make his own artifact that would go out into space to be the first impression to meet aliens, you know, he chose all these beautiful things. And yet in contact, what he <laughs> illustrated was that in fact, television has been broadcasting mm. images of us. Yeah. And, and, and he has this fun, this is a little, this is a spoiler alert, spoiler <laughs> alert. My, this is so very mild spoiler alert, but that, the first television transmission that he imagines the aliens picking up is Hitler at the 1936 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Is that right? right. The, with, mm-hmm. Jesse. And so um, the first image that comes back to Earth is that broadcast. So, yeah, all of a sudden, the first Chilling. thing the scientists at SETI, yeah, they're <laughs> like, wait a second, why is Hitler being broadcast to us by aliens? That's a bad sign. And then they figure out, no, no, that was the first thing to go out. So you were mentioning about digital technology, Blake, how um, one of the big changes is that we are no longer broadcasting. Well, (laughs) considering the the aliens are going to, yeah, the aliens are going to notice. Our television signals are sent up to satellites and then down from satellites are sent by fiber optic cable across the bottom of the ocean, right? We've got a lot less kind of random electronic crud getting sent out into the universe Um, which is probably to the best as you say right there's fewer accidental hitler advertisements (laughs) and yet the 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 aliens are probably frustrated because they've been waiting for that next episode of yeah leave it to beaver yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. there's a great Um, episode of futurama about that where uh the the aliens had been watching 
um, I think it was the equivalent of Allie McBeal, um, <laughs> and they never got the last episode or something, so they were going to come destroy Earth <laughs> until yeah. they could get it. Well, they actually, the you make a you really make a good point, Phil. I never thought about that, but it's that the Earth would become more quiet, yeah, as we and especially transition now. to full digital uh, distribution, right? That's right, and um, in fact, it, it might be that the aliens see that sudden. They probably think we died, and having watched all the television, they're like, "Oh, makes sense." Yeah, <laughs> there's no surprise that they killed themselves. Yeah, yeah. They, they laughed themselves to death, um, or they just became those fat uh, people locked in chairs watching television, like on uh, Wally. Wally. Um, but but seriously, now I, I'm my biggest distraction here this morning. I had a lot of coffee. Um, the um. If you wanted to send something now that involves... So even that CD-ROM you sent... Actually, I do remember, Blake, at the time, that was considered a wonder of technology and the amount yeah. of information. Mm -hmm. Four gigabytes on a DVD. Right. Was it CD-ROM or DVD-ROM? It, it ended up being a DVD-ROM, but um, right. at the time, it was, it was going to be a CD-ROM. And the smaller size CD-ROM, there was the... I forget what the dimensions, but this was a little smaller one because it had to fit. Um, a mini disc was it? A mini disc, yeah. Really? That's wow. what it was supposed to be. I think the actual, the one that's on Mars right now. I'm actually looking at it. Maybe it is a mini disc too. What I love is it. Not only is it obsolete, but it's one of the first ones to go obsolete. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> like nowadays, we would put. Well, what would we do? So, so what's the highest density information? Well, I guess Blu-ray Blu right now, right? Is that okay. right? Interesting. I think okay. so. I mean, there's probably something coming out after that, but I, that's the one that comes to mind right now. Even more than like a solid state drive or something? Or yeah, um, I guess, you know, you'd be worried the electromagnetic, this is was part of the conversations on New Horizons, right? It's like, well, how long could that really last if we beamed data to store in the solid, solid state storage? Um. But you know, it's in, it's going to go into interstellar space. There's very little electromagnetic. That's the whole point. The the heliosphere is that part of the end of the sun's reign over the solar system, right? It's as far as it, it's the end of the solar wind, right? The sun and the, the magnetic uh, effect of of the sun has waned now to next to nothing, and and any magnetic uh, waves that are coming in are coming in from something else because you've you've gone past the sun's reach uh so so maybe it would last and I, I think that was part of the conversation when i was having that with john lomberg on this um and he also thought because of how what a small team put together voyager he was really considering crowdsourcing this new horizons thing it's it's why put it in the hands of of a few uh, academics or or industry professionals why not just let the world figure out how to uh, represent ourselves and and that's an interesting you know uh project in and of itself how would we represent ourselves and and what's the view i mean it's even if we never sent it it would be interesting to do as a sociological or anthropological study right it's like how do we see ourselves as a collective yeah that's all all these time capsule projects are always interesting in in that way um now if we're the big question for John then would be he's going to beam out the signal to the satellite. So some of it will get captured by the satellite and stored on it, but, but the, otherwise it'll just keep going. Like, isn't that sending the message as well? Like it's, there, the information is in the ether. Is it not? Yeah, It's a good, good question. Um, I mean, yes, technically that is correct. I don't know how, how weak the signal gets, how, you know, how strong it is, how directed right. it is. Um, I mean, it's amazing that we can even communicate with this thing that uh, that's yeah. far out into space. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think, Matt? Would, should we, would, it, would beaming spraying, here, here was my thought about spraying radio waves with information out into space. They're saying, hey, television isn't doing it anymore. Let's do it. And for, go, talking about Frank Drake, going all the way back to the very, very early days of SETI, mm -hmm. uh, Frank Drake 
got a group of people, and I think Carl Sagan was on that team as uh, yeah, well. He right? was. Cre- yeah, created the message that they beamed out from the uh, the observatory, the ra- giant radio telescope. I think what you'd need to do then is tell the aliens where to find that signal. So we could put other messages out as well as, you know, all the satellites should simply say, tune to 1010 winds. <laughs> tune to FM 95 on Sundays at 6. For great. <laughs> this is London. But that's the whole, I mean, for, for your audience that doesn't know SETI, right? It's Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And, you know... Frank Drake's whole hypothesis, what do they call it, the Drake hypothesis? or the Drake, the Drake uh, equation. equation. Equation, Drake equation, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. it's all these different things that have to happen, uh, the last of which is, you know, the civilization got mature enough to not destroy itself before it became space wayfaring. Uh, but the whole SETI project is to use those arrays and and to scan the skies to see if we can pick up any signals from anybody else. Well, which is another thing about the... the um and they always readily admitted this, that our only notion of what to send, uh, the technology we're going to use to send something, is reflected in, well, well what we know anyway. And mm-hmm. so that's what we're listening right. for as well. We can barely figure yeah. out how to listen to something we don't know what to do. So, Matt, you're not, you, you are in charge of this project. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what, what's your uh, plan? I don't know. It's really hard to avoid this kind of anthropocentrism, um, much less what Sagan used to call carbon chauvinism, right? Imagining (laughs) that all organisms are something like us and all civilizations are something like us. Um, So, you know, to to Drake and friends, it was obvious that radio was the, the way that civilizations would communicate with each other and they would do so by broadcasting. Um, in these particular bands, and they they had good reasons for thinking the the radio bands that they were using were the right ones. Um, but now, even now, a, a generation later, maybe two generations, um, it's clear that those were not good choices. Right? <laughs> that we don't do those. That uh, r- broadcasting radio in those particular bands is not how advanced civilizations will communicate with each other. Um, I'd be desperately worried that we would choose some dead format for sending our our images. Um, I don't know. And then, of course, uh, the you know the SETI is a totally different project conceptually after reading the three body problem, right? Um, Chin Lu's yes, book, uh, which has a very different sense of what it means to be communicating with interstellar civilizations than than sagan's optimistic hippie sci-fi um so i would be really wary i think i think maybe i'd have like a a 50-year moratorium we'll come up with an idea stick it in a box for 50 years open it up and if after 50 years still seems like a good idea maybe we'll do it then and 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 repeat that all right well here's the thing it's 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 not only the extraterrestrial, all of our technology becomes dead, right? So another project I worked on was called GameTab. I'm very into video games and, and video game history and, and preserving them. And you know, it dawned on me back in 2002 that the very games that I grew up with were becoming unplayable, right? I mean, where, where mm-hmm. can you find a NES machine sure. that you could redo that cartridge? And, and the idea that these digital products would become obsolete and lost forever. A lot like film historians wanted to go, you know, needed to go back and and I forget how much film we've lost over the years just because of the technology, you know, just doesn't survive the test of time. Same with our digital technology. One, one, one electromagnetic burst from an atomic bomb could wipe out the entire library of Alexandria, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. of our civilization. And poof, it's it's gone not just from future generations but just from even current generations so that's interesting so uh you know the notion of wanting even to uh memorialize so so it's a couple of things one the 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 impulse to memorialize goes all the way back to obviously the ancient egyptians with pyramids and tombs and and Mm -hmm. all the civilizations that, that have done that and yet uh actually is uh 
this is an interesting thing that they believed in gods, let's say. Not that people don't now, but that's what right. they imagine. They, they believed in gods and they believed that they were memorializing these things because maybe our version, what we would now call aliens or some sort of superior, eternal or, you know, uh, omniscient beings would see them and it would be interesting to them to have this information. And then you go into a period where probably more rational uh, rationalism comes around and people are saying, well, you know, we'd leave monuments for ourselves to inspire mm-hmm. generations to come. Okay. That, like the Lincoln Memorial. Or something. Okay, great. Right. Um, but it, it's just striking me right now, actually, in a way it hasn't quite before, how radical Frank Drake's concept was to say, let's broadcast a signal, a message to mm-hmm. aliens, which I remember being portrayed in, cosmos and you know was one of those many moments of just like i was riveted and my life direction was set in some ways by this just this idea that you could do that i think matt no one like now it almost seems like well of course you would do that and isn't it even quaint and funny and you know that of course you'd want to communicate with aliens we all want but at that time that whole idea notice people didn't even think about only decades before was it revealed that there was a galaxy and then a little bit later Mm -hmm. that the galaxy wasn't the only galaxy. People thought the galaxy was the universe, right? And then the size of the universe and the notion that there, the odds that there might be people out there must've been pretty new in the, again, late sixties, early seventies. Well, I mean, the idea that there's a scientific idea, not just science fiction. Yeah. But I mean, there's the idea that there's life elsewhere in the universe is very old um, I mean, you can, there's, you know, the Roman poet Lucretius uh, has a, a wonderful epic poem called On the Nature of Things um, that assumes life, that the universe is full of life. Um, and it's actually, that's generally the assumption, actually, is that anywhere there can be life, there will be life. Um, and that's the assumption, actually, right up until the end of the 19th century, once we can start getting say, firm data unlike the fact that Mars is really cold or that the moon doesn't have an atmosphere. Um, but otherwise, people like you know the great 18th century astronomer um, Herschel, William Herschel, assumed that there were people who lived on the sun because they're like, sure, it would be a huge waste of space. Um, so, so in a weird way, um, the, the 60s and the 70s are sort of a rediscovery of this very old idea called the plurality of worlds. Um, so the first half of the 20th century is actually this this odd time in human history when it seemed like maybe we were actually alone in the universe. Mm. Ah, wow, mm. that is that is really interesting. Um, so last thought, I feel I, to, to kick the time capsule thing fully, uh, to extrapolate it as far as, well, much further, anyway, let's just say. I won't say as far as we can go. It's, my mind is quite limited um, in its imagination. But um, I would think, actually, it's funny that, like, okay, so there was all this discussion about should we have a draw, a very crude, two-dimensional line drawing of the images of what humans look like with all the problems involved it's interesting it sounds like some of the discussion was about should they be dressed or not and not so much although i'm sure carl sagan and, and those guys thought about this what race should they be or you know right. how many people should yep. we show and all that kind of stuff but um we could put biological shouldn't we just be putting biological material on there mm. oh and doesn't that i wasn't even thinking about panspermia or the idea that we may be you know descended from some mm. biology that landed on earth um, but boy, if you did that and you included, I don't know, if you had to include information about how to make a CRISPR machine or, or some kind of DNA and mm-hmm. basically DNA shouldn't, sh- isn't that the most incredible information you could know about life on earth? That's really incredible thought, Philip. I mean, it's, it's, you know, why did we choose our media, our form of expression? Um, it's like, you know. This is not a pipe. It's it's the art of <laughs> representative art. It's it is in us. Whereas the DNA is actually us. Yeah. Um that's that's data and it's it's really us, like a, a big giant seed bank going out um to the universe. And again, the transpermia mm-hmm. thing, 
Yeah, then the question becomes, you know, whose DNA do you send? Mm -hmm. And uh, that could get messy fast. Uh, I should say, generally, the, the, the current rule about space exploration is that we, you do not send any viable life uh, into space. That is, spacecraft are, um, uh, are sterilized very thoroughly before they're sent out to prevent contamination. Um, that, of course, because we are humans, um, has gone by the wayside because we screwed up. Um, there is an, uh, <laughs> we now have, uh, we accidentally put a whole bunch of um, uh, water bears, those little, um, right. uh, those little oh, critters oh, on the surface of the moon, tardigrades, right? Yes. Um, they weren't supposed to go to the moon, but they're there now. Um, so it probably seems inevitable. And, you know, with the way the privatization of space is going. I wouldn't be surprised if Elon Musk just, you know, puts his next child on a spacecraft, um, <laughs> Superman style and blasts them out. Of you space. know, he said that that was just a mannequin in his sports car. But it was actually it could have been. Yeah. yeah who knows what was it? There. It was actually some poorly paid employee who lost a, a lottery. <laughs> Somebody got Corona. <laughs> yeah. Well, get him out of here. That's quarantine. Um, so, wow. Yeah. And the, the tardigrade is just that was wasn't that I think Israel. <laughs> but tardigrades being the most hardy creatures that we know of, right? Right. Uh, that's right. Yep. Essentially yeah. mm -hmm. indestructible. Yeah. I think they uh, didn't they even discover that with all the sterilization that there were still, um, you know, germs or something on the surveyor lander that uh, the, the um, one of the later Apollo missions landed right next to one of the surveyor satellites that we landers that we sent before human landings. And I believe they went up to it and found some, that something had survived. It's so funny talking about this now living in this time of like incredible focus on sanitation, sterilization, quarantine, like we are living in our own sort of mess. Yeah. Uh, right. uh, no planetary protection, but based on the way people are a certain percentage of people in the world are treating this thing with like not wearing masks. I think you are right that we are bound to just, but it's, it is a very idealistic thing that we're going to be so pristine about things. I mean, right. it's so easy to break that rule. And, um, which makes me think that DNA or the equivalent of DNA is everywhere in the universe. Because the, the other thing about the odds of people being out there is that if you think, even if it's as the Drake equation said, you know, um, here's all the things there's all these different factors, okay? And if you can get through all of these and there's still a certain number, even if it's a very, very, very small percentage, there's so many potential worlds that the number of civilizations, no matter how rare it is, still turns out to be vast. That's the SETI argument, right? Right. That, um, mm -hmm. And so they're sending out, I'm sure that they're, some of them are trying radio, some of them are trying all, most of them are trying things we don't even understand, but some of them are sending out life either in, in what do you call, uh, intentionally or not yeah maybe quasars or somebody's sending us a signal that we don't even know right i mean it's <laughs> we just haven't figured it out yet what are these bright beacons sending uh big exactly. pulses <laughs> what natural phenomenon is going on here meanwhile the aliens back there are like look we couldn't do you know what this is a Hello. <laughs> the brightest How thing. can you not get our message? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you ever heard of Morse code? Come on, people. <laughs> it's so obvious. Um, Matt, do you think uh would you contribute your DNA? Well, it's a question for all of us. Would we would well, I'll, I'll poll the group and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Would you send your DNA into no, my I I am not a fine example of the human genome. <laughs> yeah. um, you don't want all of my cruddy. Um. <laughs> but but here's what I would like, and this is the space nut that I am. I yes. would like my ashes to be shot into space. Yes. It's like that old Viking thing, like you know, they put you on the on the, the boat and then they pull the arrow, flaming arrow back, and it bursts into flames and you're out there burning and and, and you're become part of the ocean I, I want that with space right and and what, uh, what as soon as matt was talking about that i was thinking the same thing like gene roddenberry's ashes are in space yep nice. my impression is that they have returned to earth that all of these uh, the missions that have been putting up ashes actually because because part of the shtick if i call it that is yeah. that you will burn up you'll there'll be a one moment and you'll have a sort of glistening meteor yeah i think that's right space. they're all suborbital flights yeah uh, right but can you could you get DNA from ashes or no? 
Uh, my guess is no. Um, huh. It's at the very. You might get some gene fragments and things like that, but yeah. But it it is another thing that is potentially floating out there. I mean, if look, if we are here, we one thing we can say is if we are sending our ashes into space, if we thought that was a cool thing. Using the Drake equation, we can be sure that there are untold trillions, billions, quadrillions, Google zillions of other civilizations also thinking that's a cool thing. And so yep. space is littered mm -hmm. with burnt life, cremated remains. Uh, yes, I think that seems um, entirely plausible. That must mean there must be more Chuck Berry out there somewhere. <laughs> Yo, thank you for, oh my God, I was like, this is a, such a terrible way to end. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's right. There is more. There is so much uh, Chuck Berry and just what a much what a much more beautiful image that all those civilizations are sending out their cultural artifacts mm, as well. Mm. You know, it would be funny if all, every civilization, it turns out, is the same as us, that they've all sent out the most beautiful, peaceful version of themselves. And every one of them is a lie. <laughs> That's right. It is. It is, in fact, just interstellar Facebook. Um, yes, there you everybody go. Everybody just making themselves look great. If we find another alien satellite with pictures of their kids on it, I mean, <laughs> or their pets, you know, their pets, the cat. What's with the cats? Everyone. Um, although you know what you will find is here. Here, this is the last image. What we will ultimately find is images of cats with human pets. Ah. ah it's a cookbook <laughs> it's a cookbook great blake thank you wow this was this was stellar stellar <laughs> Inter interstellar so it was great Maz. nice to meet you and uh, nice i really enjoyed the too. conversation thanks for joining us tell us what you do now and um uh and is there anything you'd like to plug people I, there is nothing i'd like to plug right now i am i'm still really fascinated by immersive interactive entertainment which started with the cd-roms and video games vr and the last thing i'll leave you with is just the the beauty of that new horizons kind of pulling it all back in the images they sent back from pluto you know have been recreated in a vr environment you can you know put on a vr headset and stand on pluto so while i can never get to space or at Whoa. least i don't wow, think cool. that's possible at my age um or financial position, um, <laughs> the uh, the idea that that VR and that our technology uh, will be able to create these experiences for me um, that are close, not exactly, but but it was neat to stand there on Pluto and just think about being that being there, being way, there. way, way, way out at the edge of the solar system, and uh, it's so a beautiful a, thing. I didn't know you could do that. Where where yeah. can we? Is yeah, just something... go on. Um, uh, Steam. There's a, if you have a HTC Vive headset, or um, I think I did it on on Oculus Quest, so it must be must be there too. Anyhow, cool. It's wow. it's you know there are technologies trying to create experiences that we uh, at least my generation won't see. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing, Matt. Anything you'd like to plug? Um, no, I am uh, continuing my monastic life of um, never leaving this room. <laughs> going well uh and uh, you just had uh nyu just had their uh what was it the online graduation that's right we go. had virtual commencement um, virtual commencement and uh it was not as nice as the real thing but i'm glad we got to do something but your your robe probably didn't get messy as messy. actually the um the cats attacked me so um <laughs> the tassels yeah, so, it was so the it tassels did, it was the tassels so yeah, yeah. it did in fact yeah, get messy. yeah. Well, for all of you, thank you for listening. If you've been here before, you know um, how we end. We have a special ritual. Before I get to that, if you could email us, we are, I, I in particular, I'm very curious about how everybody's doing out there. We've, we've got a lot of fans. We've been in touch with a lot of you around the world. Mm -hmm. You can email us at feedback at whattheif.com. And please do so. We really want to know. We, we res respond pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, feedback at whattheif.com. Uh, any questions about today's episode or just thoughts you're having, random things, what would you send into space? Here's a good question. Email good us. Question. Yeah. What would you send into space? Feedback at whatif.com. And also, if you could leave us a review or uh, even quicker, a rating, click some stars. Glad 
click all the stars you got on whatever app you're <laughs> using, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Overcast or Stitcher or Spotify or any of those other things. We are on everything. And go to our website, whattheif.com, where you can find all our other episodes and our unbelievable staff. Uh, in particular, Ilya Zhang is a researcher who's done amazing work adding all kinds of extra information about all the things that we talk about on every episode. Uh, a lot of fun stuff there. And also just a quick shout out to Howard Jung and um, Kyle Crichton, who are also helped us put together with the show. Couldn't do it without you. And uh, we couldn't do it without you, listeners. So join us as we finish. Now, Blake, I'm not sure if you, if you know, we have a special ritual in which we end. And everyone out there who knows is warming up their vocal cords right now. And they're standing up and they're stretching. They're getting their diaphragms ready. What we do is, which, well, that sounds really weird. <laughs> I'll leave it. Don't Google that. If you know, you know. Anyway, we end by imagining what the if might be for next week. And there are so many of them, we don't know. There could be as many as there are interstellar messages our way. Um, and so, Matt, how does that make us feel when we imagine these ifs? Uh, we are consumed by the existential terror of the number of ifs uh, and we are forced to shout into the void Blake thank you for joining us here we go into we, shout it so that they can hear us on Alpha Centauri please here we go what, what? the, the-